Welcome to episode 50 of the Basketball Series, Rogue Bogues. Myself and Pro, what's going on? Bogues, how you doing, brother? Ready to rock for some questions? Why not? Chris, you're up, man. Far away. G'day, guys. Um, first one is um, just something you hear a lot in, um, again, professional sports in anything. Um, how often, you know, obviously when it's coming to the end of a player's contract, um, you know, obviously the media starts to speculate, starts to ask questions about where they might be going in the future. And quite often you hear a lot of the time they say, you know, oh, look, I'm not focusing on that or I'm not even thinking about it. Um, is it always something that's in, I mean, I suppose maybe from your point of view, Andrew, you know, because you've probably been in that position before, is it always something that as much as you might not say that to the media, is it always something that's in the back of your mind? Because obviously you've got your future to think about, you've got, obviously if you've got a family, you've got to think about them as well. So is that just something that is just said a lot of the time or are players genuinely not thinking about it? Um, that's my first question. And second question is, what do you reckon was the biggest thing in terms of like the privileges that you got as an NBA player? that you may have taken for granted? Um, and was there a time where just say like a player acted up about something and you you kind of had to say, hey, mate, do you kind of realise how good we've got things here? Like, you know, you shouldn't be complaining about that sort of thing. I know you kind of touched on a bit a few weeks ago with that incident with that player on the plane and the food, but was that probably the, probably the biggest incident you probably thought like, hey, just like pull your head in sort of thing? Yeah, good questions. Thanks for those, Chris. Um, Look, I think with the your, your last question when it comes to you know privileges and whatnot, I, I think that's pro probably agree. It's probably every every other day in the NBA, right? Like it's when you're in your bubble, you're always thinking that you might have it at times rougher than someone else or whatnot. So I think, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that you, you just got to kind of take a step back sometimes with your family and friends and realize that you do have it good, but. Like it's like anything when you're when you're in your bubble and that's all you know twenty four seven you know whether whether it's strategically or not you take things for granted that's just that's human nature and you could be in a billionaire club with a bunch of you know billionaires at a board meeting every day and you might think you have it rough that's just that's the human psyche and that's the tough part of the NBA and, and every industry where there is elite talent so you got to kind of take a step back sometimes and and, and try to realize how, how good you have it and I think it just comes down to treating people with respect and and whether they're whether you think they're below you in the totem pole of life or above you or on your level, I think pleases and thank yous, I've always said, go a long way. Um, having a conversation with people that, you know, are just everyday workers. It might be someone that, you know, might be the catering company for – the food that comes to your facility it might be even the person that comes and you know cleans out the garbage just say hello say hey hey good morning how are you going i mean it doesn't that doesn't take um any effort or a lot of time but i think people appreciate that and i think that's what sometimes gets lost and and look you can't always blame the players like i said sometimes you you're just so caught in your bubble of like i just played like shit last night i'm a little pouty coaches on my ass i'm not getting minutes all that kind of stuff right so you kind of got you got to realize that there is things going on outside of that bubble but then people outside of that bubble need to realize that you know that young athlete that guy that's just got drafted all the pressure they've got other things they're dealing with so it's it's a fair balance but i think please thank yous and just being nice pro uh, go a long way right yeah i think they do and a lot of times players sort of they've been in their own bubble since they were about 12 years old 
where they've been everything was catered to them 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 like you know everything was taken care of for them in the sense that like you know clothes shoes money going to events because these guys are the the elite of the elite and a lot of times they're in their own world in their own vacuum and they don't really have to talk to people on a regular basis like we do and and that's just sort of the truth i mean you came from a different background than like a normal um high school kid in the united states would where like they've got five or six people the elite ones not every player but the elite ones for sure they'll have like five or six people that are sort of around them at all times and a lot of times they'll do the talking for the player to people. So they really, I think they really, a lot of players lack that sort of communication skill to be able to carry conversations with people, not because they're not in, <coughs> intelligent enough to do so, but because they've never really had to do it a lot. And every, all those people around them that are trying to get sort of in their pockets <coughs> or look out for them or both, they, they sort of shield them from all that. And it ends up, now they go on their own when they're in the practice facility or traveling or going on the plane or having to deal with people. Sometimes they struggle with that. Not all the time. Not every player is like that, but I think they do struggle. And with the contract stuff, I think that that, it, that that weighs heavily on anyone's mind. I don't care if you're a player. I don't care if you're a front office. I don't care if you're a coach. If you're there on a last year of your deal and that's all you're thinking about, and that you can say all that bullshit you want about, I'm not thinking about it, I'm just thinking of the team, this and that. That is complete bullshit. You're worried about your contract. You're worried about being in the same city and you know, putting down roots a little bit where you could at least breathe a little bit. You know, And you're worried about that. And you're worried about sort of where you, where you, you, know, where you sort of lie with the whole organization and how they view you. And are you getting... You know, are you going to get the right compensation compared to people that are putting up the same numbers in the same position than you are? So I think it does weigh heavily on the mind. But I do think a lot of players do sometimes take advantage of what they have and they don't really know how good they have it because when they're out and they have to play in Europe or they have to play in the D League or they have to do something else, you know, basketball wise, they definitely know that they're getting treated differently and some teams. I remember like with the Mavs, like they, the Mavs are the first class with their, like their plane, their food on the plane. I remember we traded a player away to an Eastern Conference team. And we have like sea bass, like Mavs had like sea bass on the plane, steak. I mean, they, they, they did it up pretty well. Like they sent us a picture of like a cheeseburger and like five fries on the side. And that's all they got. And we were like, yeah, hang in there, buddy. <laughs> it, uh, summer's coming soon, but you know, uh, sometimes teams treat you better than other teams. And, you know, sometimes you don't know how well you have it at one team until you have to experience it in another team or, God forbid, another league or another country. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it, like I said earlier, it comes down to just to finish off the point on the privileges. It just comes to you, you can't always blame the player because it's a product of their environment. It's a product of their family, their friends. And, and they don't, you know, it's that ignorance is bliss at times. It, it's just the unfortunate reality of it. So I think that's one thing. Yeah, the contract stuff. I mean, most people have 
that in the back of their mind. Um, a good agent will tell you, like, you know, try not to think about it, block it out, all that kind of stuff. Don't let it distract you. But it, it's always in the back of your mind. And, you know, shit, I had a 5.5 rebound night. Is that going to affect my – it doesn't affect it immediately, but that's how players think. And you just got to try to, you know, um, build off of all that and into something for a good season. And then, then yeah, you want – any agent, any coach, any trainer for a player is going to say, hey, don't let it distract you. But you're a human being, man. Like, that, that, that stuff distracts you because you play bad, you can probably not get as much money as you thought you're going to get. You play, you play okay. You might end up in a city you don't want to go to. You, there's a lot of different things in a player's mind, and um, I think the good players can really try to, you know, put it aside. But at the same time, look, you look at even what Russell Westbrook's going through right now. Um, he's got his contract and his money, but you know, he must be, you know, it must be meant a mental toll for him because. He's been scapegoated. He's a guy that's everything's his fault, and I, I don't think he's been great. But I, I don't think he's the sole reason why the Lakers suck. Um, so that's that will be an, on the flip side a prime example of a guy that's probably got those distractions. But the one thing you love about Russ is every night he comes and plays as hard as he can. He might not make all his shots. He might not play the best basketball from a strategic point of view at some t- at times he gets lost offensively or whatnot makes a mistake but he's going to try like and, and that's what you can ask for in those in those situations chris so hope that answers your question we'll go on to the uh the next one this is from ashley go ahead mate good morning bogues good evening pro how are you all good 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 um congratulations firstly episode 50 i hope you carried the bat like you know the half century in cricket so well well done for that appreciate it um busy week mate busy week for you obviously the the electoral (laughs) commission debacle i could not (laughs) believe that and can i say that is one of the most unbelievable things i've ever read in my life look i don't i'll be honest i don't necessarily agree with everything you say but free speech is free speech and i don't think you're causing riots or anything like that Mm. i could not get over that so keep fighting the good fight with that stuff mate you know sort of thing also my question is a little bit and then you had another busy week you're in friday you're in brisbane i saw on the tv up here in sunny Bris vegas at watching your Sydney Kings. Uh, yeah, it wasn't pretty. Lose. It wasn't pretty, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't pretty, mate. Jalen Adams looked great. He was good for my fantasy team, which was fantastic. Yeah. But <laughs> um, Xavier Cooks as well was also not good for my fantasy team with that ridiculous... Oh, man, injection. pro. They threw out our best player with two quick tees. What do you do? Nothing. Nothing is well, the answer, pro. Well, his first, oh, shit. in Australia, a flagrant slash intentional foul is a technical foul. So he had one uh-huh. of those in the first uh-huh. – he had like a grabbing foul in the first three minutes. And then five minutes later, he was – a ref made a bad call. He was walking away from that ref and said, man, this this – you know, yeah. stupid-ass ref should be in NBL 1, which is our G League. And the other right. ref heard it that already called him for the intentional and quick teed him up. And you're just like, look, I get it. I get it if it's demonstrative and whatever, but like two quick tees is just rid- – and that's our best player. Like, fuck, like have some sort of awareness about your referee. But anyway, go on with your uh, with your question, so, mate. <laughs> yeah, so my question, I guess, is about the NBL a little bit. And I apologize, Pro, because I know you watch a lot of NBL, so you might be um, – able to get in here. What I've found, especially this year in particular, the NBL style of play has changed a lot from more the FIBA style to more the NBA style. Now, I know with you guys, the Kings with a with an American G League, you know, head coach, the, the Wildcats, their system has changed totally, you know, so then, yeah, they got the results done last night. What are your thoughts on the systems? Do you agree with that firstly? And is, you know, is that good for our game because our, our game in Australia isn't always based upon that athleticism. It's based upon ball movement, team play for our, for our international stuff. Yeah, it's a good question. It is. It is. I think that's what I like watching the NBL because you have – you had your 
at least you put Wildcats evolved from the previous season. All they ran was flex to death. Yeah, yeah flex, flex and just, just, just uh, we're going to win the offensive board. We're going to be physical. We're going to be this. And they're a little bit of a tweak now. And then you've got, you know, teams, you know, like Brisbane like, last couple of seasons were really yeah, methodical flow. with Lamanus. It was a really, you know, flowing offense where everyone needed to touch it. Then you've got, you know, obviously other teams that are that are figuring things out. So that's why I like the NBL. I think it's I think it's got a good balance. I think Kansas still old school fever NBL with Ford running it up there, physical, hold grab, you know, try to beat you out of the gym. We're a bit more free flowing, uh, way way too free flowing. Way too free flowing. That's another topic altogether. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's it's a, just the system we've instilled, you know, where um uh, it, it can be very, very good, but the problem is when when it dries up for us, it dries up, you know, and that free flowing offense sometimes can be your Achilles heel and it can also also have you win a game by 30 so I, I like the balance of the NBL I think it has started to shift I think that with like you said um, having American coaches come out here from the NBL NBA sorry or NBA G League uh, the G League over there I, I think it, it instills a bit more of that philosophy so I think having a good mix I think there's still a lot of great Australian coaches that do a great job in the NBL so it's it's just cool to see the strategy battle the chess game of like yeah. you know NBA slash G League system analytics hoist up a bunch of threes versus a cans where they're going to you know try to really grind you out or an old school Perth or even Melbourne United for the most part they pick you know they're picking up full court and they're trapping and they've got three quarter court traps and half court traps back to the zones they've got a bunch of junk defenses that they do really well with and they put a lot of pressure above the half court line so you don't see that much in the in the NBA and the G League so I, I like it I'm a fan of just contrasting styles I think that's what you know mono or mono Chess versus chess. I love seeing that because I think it get. I think the NBA and Pro and I have spoken about it. at times it can get boring because it's everyone's trying to do the same fucking thing and you're just like, oh god. Like that's why I like watching Philly sometimes because at least I'll throw it down to the big fella and try to yeah. have him have forty on the block on you and, and even Denver to an extent with Jokic. Whereas you know a lot of these, which is probably arguably 80 percent of the league is that free flowing flow offense, hoist up as much threes as we can. Like a, maybe a Dallas versus Golden State, it's, it's just a very similar style, and you don't really see anything where you're like, oh shit, that was a that was a great adjustment or a great play. You know, a hundred percent, I agree. And even last night, watching a little bit of the Perth um, Illawarra, I don't know if you caught that. It was a lot of Perth just going, you know, one four. Cotton Law, you know, I mean, everybody else going to stand on the other side. Yeah, Blanchfield played well and whatever, but yeah, versus versus Illawarra, which was lots of ball movement. Yeah, lots of on ball screens, lots of threes still, you know, what I mean, but it was like lots of movement of the ball, movement of the players. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Pro. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know much, how much you've watched Pro, but um, I know you watch some Euro League and you cop some shit from some <laughs> listeners for that, but um, oh, no doubt. the contrasting styles is what you, what, what I like seeing as a purist. I don't, I don't know about you. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I'm, I'd rather just the old school sort of like, you know, ball movement. I, I do like the influx of threes just a little bit. I don't want to just to dominate the game like it has been. And I just want possessions to matter. And it just seems like because we're pushing pace a lot in the NBA level, G League level, and some, you know, it, it sort of flows over to some Euro, you know international stuff where like, they just want to get to the next possession. So not every possession matters. If they throw it away or they have three or four bad shots in a row, they don't care. They just want to get to the next one, which I'm just not a huge fan of. Like you, I like when they throw it down low, you know, once in a while, they don't have to force feed it down there, but it's good just to sort of have something a little bit different. And it's not something we haven't seen before. It's just something we haven't seen in a while because of now, you know, how analytics is sort of, taking control of so many levels of basketball you even see it in college and even as at the high school level so it's uh 
it's interesting sort of influx. Yeah, it is. I, I just like the balance. So I'd, I'd always, I, I like, I like going to a game and seeing like, holy, I haven't seen that done for a while. I haven't, I haven't seen that before. I haven't seen, you know, what, what the hell was that play they ran, or you know, why have they, how have they stemmed the flow of that ten o run because they've, you know, they've gone to a half court trap. I, I like that. I love. I love that. Um, I think the game today has just become, you know, we're going to have the same systems, but our talents, our talent in that system is going to beat your talent in that system. I think that's what we're seeing a lot of the times. I think it's it's arguably probably easier to coach today from that point of view where I, I don't think there's coaches pro that are going to a late night diner and trying to figure out new plays on a napkin. You know, I think that was, yeah. that's kind of the old school mentality of, of trying to, you know. I think Carlisle, that's about, maybe Carlisle, that's about it. But yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I don't see him. Rick Majerus was big on that. Like he'd have, you know, he'd go. He's, he had a book called My Life on a Napkin, um, where he literally mm-hmm. would be at diners draw, drawing up plays and picking his brain for different stuff. And I'm not going to lie, I've been there as well. I've, I've, I've sat at home sometimes and just drawn up some random stuff just to see, you know, what, what it looked like on paper. And if I coach one day, we'll see. But yeah, the game the game is changing, and it'll just be interesting to see if this conversation changes in, in 10 or 15 or 20 years with um, with the amount of data and analytics we get. But on to the next, JF, we're moving on to you, far away. Hey, guys. So, love the Common Sense episode, Bogues. I was wondering if you you do a call-in episode uh, with on those kind of things because there's not a lot of common sense going on, so lots to talk about. Yeah, it's a good good idea. I mean, I'm, I'm looking towards it. I've just only got so much time in a day. So we've got this going weekly, but I think um, look for an announcement in the next couple of months around the podcast. So we're going to ramp it up a little bit um, in, 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 in the future and that'll definitely be down the line. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm just curious too, just a quick aside, uh, like Djokovic leaving, just absolutely absurd, crazy nonsense. Um, I was just like wondering, I know you're one generation removed, but what was like kind of the Balkan vibe uh, in the NBA while you were playing? I know Johan Buhai had like this big article about all the guys getting together in the bubble, drinking, have a good time uh, during while the rest of the league was doing kind of like uh, social justice warrior uh, acting. (laughs) Uh, You know, they were getting together and drinking and like having a time. And uh, I was wondering, was that like your experience uh, while playing or is it still a bit, you know, tension there? No, I mean, for the most part, there isn't. I mean, there were a few guys that were a bit crazier, but generally, generally, it's a bond. Like, there's the Balkans and there's just an international bond. So, um, most of the teams that I was on, the international players just organically bonded because I think they had, even if it was like myself and Carlos Delfino, for example, were really good friends on on the Milwaukee Bucks, and he's from Argentina, like two different cultures, two different countries, but we could still. We were still kind of the foreigners. We were still kind of didn't really fit in with the day-to-day culture we saw every day in a locker room. So we just naturally bonded. And 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 even as far as you know, guys from Asia, um, I was really good friends with Luke Marbute over from Africa. So you know, I think it, it just you just naturally kind of gravitate towards those guys and have just more of a familiarization with the journeys that we took were, were somewhat similar. So the Balkans, yeah, I mean, I didn't really have any issues with any guys. I got into it with a few guys. Vujicic was one who, who had some choice words in, in, you know, he's Slovenian, but Serbian Slovenian. So he had some borderline uh, questionable taunts in Serbian to me. Um, but other than that, it was it was pretty pretty good. And I, I had I had a few friends. You know, I played with Damir, Mo- Damir Markota, who was uh, Croatian as well, my first couple of seasons. Then Rocco Leni Ukic came over. So we hung out a lot on the road. And uh, there is a bond. And I think just, just being able to probably hang out with guys and, and hear, you know, 
the music and the food and the culture and the drinks, I think, um, especially in that bubble situation, man, like I can I can only imagine how bad mentally that would have been. So I think it's it's, it's pretty civil for the most part. Every now and then, like like anything, like any any industry or any team or anything, there's always there can be one shithead that kind of ruins it for everybody. But for the most part, Serbians, Croatians, Slovenians, uh, Montenegrins, you know, Bosnians, they all they all kind of understood. Hey, we've we've kind of all had a pretty good journey from wherever we've come from, and we can speak the the same tongue. It's very, very similar um, in, in most of those dialects and let's just kind of enjoy that while we're over here and it quelled some, some homesickness. Awesome. Uh, and just a quick question bas- for basketball-wise. Uh, so I see the Celtics are struggling. Pro, you made them the team of the week last week. You know, they still really haven't improved over the last two seasons with Taylor and Brown uh, being the two uh, number one options or, you know, co-number one options. Uh, do you think it's really, you know, fixable with them there? Like I know Bill Simmons says, oh, they need to pass first point guard like Lonzo Ball that would fix it but I think you know they would just pound the ball and just have him stand in the corner anyway so it wouldn't make a difference in my opinion and he's kind of like uh, they're like Kobe, Kobe Bryant type players where you know they can't play with other wings or guards they need another like dominant big man to be successful uh, as a team so just curious bro get fired up go ahead uh, no I, I think that I think with Tatum I think Tatum takes the Kobe-like mentality on offense, but he—he—he's not—he's like Johnny Bryant when it comes to defense. You know, he just doesn't have any effort. He doesn't really dig in, and he doesn't do the things that Kobe would do defensively to try to take over a game. Look, offensively, you know, Kobe took a share of bad shots, but he took a lot of simple things. And Tatum, where he falls short, is his efficiency at just being consistent, playing hard on both ends of the floor, he's not a very good finisher and his shot selection is not very good. And until he takes that head on and he he actually gives that effort on the defensive end, they're going to be in this situation for a long time. And, you know, Brown, Brown shows some, just some flashes of being really good, but again, consistency with him and being smart, you know, playing smart, being simple. Those guys make it really tough on the Celtics because their bad shots, bad shot after bad shot leads to transition basket after transition basket after transition basket. And, and the other teams know that they're going to they're gonna be around well enough to fuck this thing up. You know, no lead is good enough for them. I've seen them blow 25, 30 point leads because they just, they don't know how to, they don't know how to manage the game. And look, you can't say they're young anymore. They've been to like two conference finals, if not three. You know, they've been to a bunch of conference finals. They've been in big playoff games. You learn from those moments. And it seems like they don't. It seems like that just, it's like a glorified AAU team. Marcus Smart, you know, he plays hard as fuck. You know, and he and he's sort of the stabilizer. They need a lot of stuff over there. And I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to try to, you know, try to make trades I, I think that they're fucked because they have no, no money to spend. Their culture, if you want, I hate that word, but like it's just they're soft. They're fucking soft. And they need to like stop point, finger pointing, get in the fucking gym. And if they got to fight, fight. They won't because it's today's game. But they need to get in a room. You, like you, like we all know, that NBA season doesn't start until there's a players-only meeting in a locker room, you know. But like, they need to figure this shit out because it's not fucking working. You could have a hundred pass first point guys, but if those guys don't take it upon themselves 
to change their mentality of how they play those two guys. Tatum being the one because he's their franchise. Brown's a very good player. He's got nothing on Tatum's talent. And Tatum's got to look in the mirror and say, look, this like cha-cha-cha sidestep bullshit that I do 90% of the time, I got to cut it out of my game, be simple, take the ball to the basket, get to the free throw line, take good shots. When I get two on the ball, pass the ball, and I got to defend and I got to take pride in my defense and not just put all my effort on the offensive end. And, and what's a frustrating pro is like their best is still pretty they're, – they're, they're competitive when they're, when they're firing at yeah. all cylinders and their roster's in sync and they're playing their best basketball. They can beat anyone in the league. Right, so that's the frustrating thing about being a Celtics fan. I think for for most of there's that guy, there's a guy online that posts videos like about this is the life of a Celtic fan. And I don't know if you've seen them, but they're hilarious. <laughs> no, it's, it's like seven seven minutes straight of not scoring, all that kind of shit. And it's their best is still. I wouldn't say they're top top three, top four, but they're but they're you know they're a top ten team at their best when they're all firing the way they supposed they're supposed to be. But like they'll go and beat a Golden State or a Phoenix, and then they'll lose to Detroit. And lose to Indiana, and you're just like, what the hell is going on? It's like they're the ultimate roller coaster team. These last couple of seasons, where you're like, oh, we're getting it together. We won three straight, had a great road trip, run three out of four, and they come home and stink it up for three games. And it's just been a continual cycle where they just cannot figure it out. They cannot get consistency. Who are we culturally? There's still kind of that wrestle of is it Tatum's team? Is it Brown's team? Who are we going to build around? Do we make a trade? You know, and it just I would just hate to be a Celtics fan at the moment. Like the last three years have just been you just you literally a yo every day i agree i totally agree and consistency is where they're going to start from and you know they're not going to figure it out you know probably this season and is that a veteran agency, pro is that like a, a mid-level solid vet pro that has a voice in that locker room will tatum will tatum and brown you know listen to a guy like that what is the fix i don't think lonzo balls a fix i mean i love bill simmons but i don't think that's fixing the problem they have there how, how do they fix this it's gonna have to come from themselves bogues because look how many veteran leaders are there across the league when you played like in your heyday not at the end but in the middle i would say there was about 90 leaders in the locker room that people respected and you know especially older players how many are there today 20 15 and you got to factor in that these young guys are getting these big money deals before they've they've, they've technically earned it so it's kind of like hey hey old dude on a vet minimum deal shut the fuck up i'm making 90 million over five years exactly <laughs> exactly so they're gonna have to look themselves in the mirror look there have been a lot of players that at some point finally looked themselves in the mirror and said enough I have to turn this thing around i gotta change what i'm doing not many there have been a few but that's what they're going to have to do. And look, those guys work hard in the offseason. You know, I know I know Tatum's trainer very well and those guys work, they crush film, all that stuff. You know, and his name's Drew Hanlon. He works out most of most of the NBA All-Stars out there and he does a really good job. But like it's not just about that. It's going to be about shot selection, where and when, playing hard on both ends of the floor encouraging my teammates being a real leader a leader doesn't mean you average 28 and 9 that that's got nothing to do with leadership leadership is and it's not just yelling at people it's it's taken by example sacrificing looking guys in the in the face and and communicating with them but it, it's going to start with his shot it's going to shot start with his defense and his shot selection and because he's got a ton of talent He's got that Kobe talent. He doesn't have that Kobe killer mentality like Kobe's had since he was 15 years old. 
but he's got a lot of similar traits. But if he doesn't look himself in the mirror, because no one else is going to do it. No older veteran is going to put his arm around. There's no Charles Oakley's in the league anymore. There's none of those type guys. You know, it's it's going to take him looking himself in the mirror and finally like turning a corner by himself and and saying, you know what, I, I need to do this today. I, I do because it's just going to be it's going to be this all over again. And every year it's going to be like Groundhog Day. So that's how I think it fixes Bogues. Because you know what? Like in free agency, they're going to have, I think they could, I think they could, reno- uh, they could get rid of Horford's contract, renounce some guys. They're going to have somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 million. I've heard they really like Jalen Brunson. I heard they really like Dorian Finney-Smith. I don't think Finney-Smith's going to leave Dallas. But I think because of the arenas rule that Brunson might be an issue staying in Dallas because a lot of teams could offer him more money than Dallas can officially. They can only offer him a certain amount of money based on, you know, based on his contract being a second round pick. That's what I think. I'm not 100 percent certain, but I'm almost positive. So, you know, that's what you're looking at. There's not a lot of like great players in free agency that they can get. You know, there's not going to be a lot. There's not going to be like a Kawhi Leonard in free agency. There's going to be James Harden, supposedly. The only other team he'll probably go to is Philly. You know, I don't. Th- I don't see him going anywhere from Brooklyn or Philly. I don't think he's going to go to a Boston, obviously. So they're not going to get a great player in free agency. They're going to get a good player, but they're not going to get someone who's going to turn their culture around. They got to look themselves in the mirror. This is the new age player. No one's telling them anything. They're not listening to their coach. They're not listening to their agent. They're not listening to people around them that much. They got to make that decision themselves. Agree. It's going to be fun to watch to see where where they go because they're, you know, I doubt they blow it up, but shit, they're going to make some tweaks. So we'll see how that goes. Last one, Corey, we're going to try you again. G'day, boys. Can you hear me? Gotcha, man. There you go. Beautiful. That's nice when something works, isn't it, eh? That's it. <laughs> when you can figure it out. <laughs> um, just want to firstly say, massive fan of uh, of the show, boys, and, and the work you boys have done. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Just wanted to ask if you guys have ever experienced maybe someone below you or uh, pointing something out to either of you guys and you've gone, oh, shit, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's that's quite obvious. Um, just wondering if you boys have ever had an experience like that and if you could share an experience or something that, that you boys have learned. Oh, man, where to put us on the spot. I've got to think of something quickly. Nice job. Um, <laughs> I take feedback. If, if the, I don't look at where the feedbacks come from, Corey. So I look at the, the quality of, and you know the content and the feedback that's coming. I think that that's very, very important. So I try to, I try to listen to everyone. And look, you might, you might have some stuff that comes from someone that's absolutely wacky and you just you know, you put it aside. But yeah, of course, there's been many people that are whether i mean for me it's probably with the amount of injuries i had it's probably physios and trainers that i've learned a lot from just by listening just by you know i guess the biggest thing i've learned and that i learned from from a trainer in uh, with milwaukee bucks at the time was mark boff so i'll give him a shout out as a friend of mine to this day when i had back issues you know as a young kid it was like back issues get on a foam roller, roll my back out, get my back massaged, blah, 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 blah. Just just touch the back, touch the back. And he really taught me about, hey, your back issues aren't just massage your back. You got you to have strong hamstrings. Your glutes need to be strong. They need to be loose. So, if you have tight glutes and tight hips, that then does what? It pulls on your back. Um, and the, the big one was the psoas. So, the psoas is a muscle that um, it's just kind of the bottom of your abs and kind of to the side near your hips there's like a little there's some stuff in there psoas and iliacus iliacus and you got to get your thumbs and forefingers in there and 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 it hurts like hell the first time you do it so that would be my example it was like 
you know, I really learned and listened to that. So then when I went home and did my recovery, instead of just massaging my back, I'd do everything else. And that's probably an example of some listening to someone that in the hierarchy of an NBA roster, just a trainer or whatever is below me technically. I don't look at it that way, but some people do. of some really useful, useful feedback that I still use to this day. So I think there's, you'd be an idiot if, in my opinion, if you're, if you don't have your ears open to people that, you know, you might deem below you, but have been in the league for 10, 15, 20 years in their role or have been, you know, they've got a degree or whatever, like you, you, you try to listen and you might not always agree with it or you might disagree or you might say, I don't, that, that doesn't, that doesn't work for me. You know, doing that doesn't work. I don't feel better from it, but you still listen and, and taking the feedback and move on that way, bro. What about yourself? Yeah, Bogues, I mean, you, you know how Dallas was structured. I didn't really, really have many people that were under me except my interns. And, you know, I did take, I did take a lot of feedback from my interns and, and I, I would always ask, hey, what we're doing with drills and things, what do you, what do you see? And there was a one kid we had my first year, his name was J.D. Luster. He, was a, he played at Bradley, was from San Diego, and he was a manager at Arizona. And when he, when he was working for us, I was like, hey, what do, you, what do you guys do at Arizona as far as like getting guys to sort of study their shot? He goes, hey, what we did was we put guys in each spot for like, we didn't say make this many or take this many. We want you to shoot for like 90 seconds to two minutes per spot and just really rep it out to really think and really like, and don't instruct them, just let them shoot and let them sort of figure it out through sort of like osmosis. And I said, you know what, I'm going to try that. And we did it. And for me, it worked for our guys because it really gave them a chance to think. No one's talking to them. We would instruct them before the sh- you know, the spot, hey, you know, get your elbow in or whatever. And these guys would shoot and shoot and shoot. And through osmosis, sort of, they would get better, like just sort of self-analyzation, watching, you know, watching themselves and paying attention to what they're doing. And yeah, I would take comments from them all the time and feedback and take them out to eat, text them all the time and talk just because I want to see what, you know, what we're doing. Not that I needed that all the time, but like if there was a little thing that I could pick up, I think the worst part about that league is the egos that are the people sometimes coaching and working there where they feel as though they, they're not taking, you know, they're not taking any advice from anyone because they, they, you know, they're, they know everything. And, you know, I definitely did not take that ag- approach as you guys know. And, but I think it was good to sort of get that feedback, but yeah, that, I mean, those are the only guys that were sort of under me that I could take, you know, take any sort of critiques from. And yeah, I, I sort of valued it. I, I, d- I did that a couple of times a year. Yeah, I think it's just good to listen, keep your ears open and don't buy too much into the totem pole of life because you can learn shit from, you know, people that have made it and people that haven't. I mean, a lot of times the people that haven't made it have valuable insight and valuable kind of intel for you, you know, because they can tell you why they didn't make it, <laughs> you know, they can give you- yes. This is how I invested in a business that went bankrupt. This is why it went bankrupt. This is why I didn't make it. Um, this is how I got addicted to XYZ and how I got out of it. So I think everyone has something to offer and keep your ears open. Preston, we'll get to you next week. I see you waiting there. So we'll get to you next week. We've got to jump on our um, podcast. Appreciate everyone joining. That's episode 50 Q&A. We'll see you next week. And please give this a share and get more people on board next week. The more questions, the merrier. Thanks. Thanks, guys.